It was September 1st, 2021, and Dominic Morellis was the Deputy Director for Operations at Philadelphia's Office of Emergency Management. He was just wrapping up his shift, waiting for the remnants of Hurricane Ida to hit. And about 10, 10.30 that night, our operations center, which was maintaining a 24-7 posture, they called and they said, our forecast changed drastically. And not only were we anticipating more flooding, but it was a, a, a prediction of a flood level that had never been recorded in the city at that point. We had gone from, this is going to be like a top five flooding event forecasted, to, no, this is going to be record-breaking. And so we had this moment of, this is going to be different. And it was. This neighborhood outside Philadelphia ripped apart. States of emergency across the Northeast after Ida took one last cruel turn, causing torrential rain, catastrophic flooding, and a tornado outbreak. It has been a weather event unlike anything any of us have ever seen. Philadelphia saw as much as 16 feet of flooding in some areas and winds of up to 130 miles per hour. The Philadelphia area experienced as much as eight inches of rainfall and tornadoes from the weather passing through. And so that storm really kind of changed our posture to be much more proactive. Hurricane Ida shifted how people in Philadelphia and surrounding areas thought about hurricanes. Now they're looking ahead to prepare for what the next storm could bring. June marks the official start of Atlantic hurricane season, when tropical cyclones are most likely to form in parts of the Atlantic Ocean, the Gulf of Mexico, and the Caribbean Sea. You're going to hear tropical cyclone a lot in this episode. So a quick definition. It's the umbrella term for the formations of clouds and thunderstorms that have been organized into tropical depressions, tropical storms, and hurricanes. Scientists are debating whether we're in store for more intense tropical cyclones in the future. Ones like Ida that can rapidly change and devastate places like Philadelphia. Or Hurricane Ian that grew and grew hours before it decimated parts of Florida last year. The area where Hurricane Ian made landfall is one of the most dangerous hurricanes in the history of mainland Florida. So how might we better prepare for them? From the Wall Street Journal, this is the future of everything. I'm Ariana Spuru. Today we're talking about how oceanographers, modelers, and forecasters are looking to new technologies to figure out unanswered questions about hurricanes and what this all means for the next decade of disaster preparedness. Stay with us. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. Robert Half is here to help. Our recruiting professionals utilize our proprietary AI to connect businesses with highly skilled talent. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Growing up in Florida, I got used to 90-degree heat and a cool ocean breeze. Perfect weather for me, and perfect for hurricanes. The state of Florida gets hit by the most hurricanes by far in the U.S., so lots of people who study them flock here, including the people at the National Hurricane Center, which is coincidentally less than three miles away from my childhood home. The Hurricane Center is in Miami, and it looks like any other office from the outside. It's a gray, one-story building that doesn't really stick out, aside from the three huge satellite dishes by the parking lot. Kind of a giveaway. 
The building is designed to withstand winds of up to 130 miles per hour, which in the common way of measuring storms, the Category 1 to 5 scale, means it's built to survive a Category 3 hurricane. Those categories aren't just about wind speeds, though. They're also used to estimate potential damage. For example, a Category 1 storm typically means large tree branches will snap, shallow trees could be toppled, and buildings could see some roof damage. But as you progress to Category 5, the destruction gets more severe, with lots of trees down, homes destroyed, and power outages lasting weeks or even months. National Hurricane Center. That's Robbie Berg. He's a senior hurricane specialist at the National Hurricane Center, where he's involved in their forecasting, communication, and outreach. He also works on improving forecasting of storm surges. I visited in March, months before the official start of their Atlantic hurricane season. It's a quieter time of year as far as activity in the room, but all of the hurricane specialists are currently busy writing reports on all the storms from last year, doing analysis, that sort of thing. The room where these hurricanes are analyzed and forecast kind of looks like a computer lab. Except there's a huge wall full of screens with colorful storm tracks and a big glass divider with a special room for media in the back. Once a storm begins to possibly threaten land areas, particularly the United States, then the interest starts to ramp up. We get media actually camping out here at the Hurricane Center to have more frequent updates as the storm is threatening the United States. Each desk had about six monitors stacked on top of each other. That's where forecasters sit, wired in, focused on delivering updates roughly every six hours during an active storm. When we have a landfalling storm, nearly all these desks is occupied with somebody, whether they're making the forecast or they're answering telephones or they're doing social media or they're looking at the radar along the coast to see what the storm is doing. The National Hurricane Center is part of the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, or NOAA. NOAA is gathering data all year long on ocean temperatures, salinity, and wind speeds, to name a few. But it pays special attention to these months when the warm temperatures in the ocean mix up with low wind shear and moist air to create storms in the Atlantic Basin. A hurricane is just in a current of air being pushed around by high-pressure areas, low-pressure areas, just as a cork would flow through a stream. And to predict what those corks in the stream will do, hurricane forecasters look at what the storm looks like in real time, using satellites and data they get from planes flying over the oceans and into storms. Here on this screen, we have what's called visible satellite imagery. So it's just a satellite way up in the sky looking back down at Earth, and it's showing us where the clouds are. Then, once they have a grasp on what the storm looks like, they bring in models. Uh, You can see on the screen up here, we have a particular model showing the wind speeds at the ocean surface. Um, And we can step that through time in the future to see what that particular model is forecasting. The monitors varied from teals and greens to black and whites, all displaying different data. That's the job of the hurricane specialist, to pour through all of that information and try and get a good understanding of what is this storm going to do over the next five days. And for the most part, modeling has gotten better at tracking where a hurricane might hit. For example, in 1970, the average 24-hour track forecast error or the distance between the storm's actual position and its projected location, was a little over 84 miles. Fast forward to 2022, and the air has gone down to an average of 30 miles. But that's still a pretty wide area, and models today generally can't tell us precisely where a hurricane will make landfall. If you've ever experienced a hurricane or just followed hurricane coverage, you'll recognize something called the track forecast cone. Some people have called it the cone of uncertainty, cone of concern, or more hauntingly, the cone of death. 
The Track Forecast Cone is a graphic made and distributed by the National Hurricane Center, which shows the potential track area for a storm up to five days out. You might have seen it online or on TV. The colors can vary, but generally it's a white or red cone overlaid on a map of the U.S., showing where the center, or eye, of the storm is likely going to hit. But as forecasters often remind the public, the winds, flooding, rainfall, tornadoes, and other possible effects of the storm can hit outside of that cone. So researchers are trying to figure out how can they better model hurricanes to give people this information ahead of time. If the public knows how likely an area is to see tornadoes or the exact probability of heavy rainfall, then that information can be used to help people get ready sooner or start earlier evacuations. Greg Foltz is an oceanographer at NOAA and mainly studies the role of ocean in climate and extreme weather. Models in general can be really easy, he says. Let's say you take a ball and you roll it down a ramp, right? You could have a model that would predict how fast that ball is going to be going at the bottom of the ramp. That's pretty simple. We know the force of gravity, you know, we know pretty much the force of friction on it. You know, we know the force balance and we can predict that really, really accurately. But when it comes to hurricanes, they aren't. But then it gets a lot more complicated because there are all different equations that govern, you know, how the atmosphere moves and how it interacts with the ocean. And uh, we don't know those exactly. And what they don't know, they try to figure out by gathering data. NOAA has a fleet of research tools it already uses to paint a picture of the ocean, including 17 satellites, 15 ships, and over 5,000 robotic floats and buoys. They also use hurricane hunters, specially equipped planes which hover above and fly into the eye of the storm. But still, there are gaps in what they know, especially at the ocean's surface during a storm. We can't get this data from any, anything else. We can't send people into a hurricane at the surface of the ocean. It's too dangerous. And we can't just hover a, you know, a helicopter or an airplane in a hurricane for hours and hours at a time. So the only way to get it is to send something like a drone to get the data and send it back to us. In the past few decades, more technology has been used to try to answer these questions. Noah's been using dropsons, which look like a poster tube attached to a small parachute since 1996. These are dropped into a storm and gather some data about temperature, humidity, and pressure on the way down. And Noah started using gliders in 2014. These aren't like the hang gliders you see people strapped into, soaring through the air. These gliders look like torpedoes and are about six feet long. They can be yellow or orangish in color and dive down into the water collect data, and bring it back to the surface. A handful were hanging around in the NOAA lab in Virginia Key, Florida, when I visited. And one even had a fun souvenir from an encounter with a shark. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. How did that happen? They just took a little chomp, a little exploratory chomp. <laughs> <laughs> so when they aren't victims to curious sharks in the water, these devices also get ocean data for NOAA's hurricane forecast models. But to measure how a storm gets stronger you need to be at that point where the atmosphere and the ocean interact. Noah's Greg Foltz says that's where uncrewed surface vehicles, or USVs, come in. The ultimate goal of improving hurricane intensity forecasts with these uncrewed vehicles, one, is we want to improve understanding of how hurricanes work. So that's one way. The other is to put the data, the data goes in in real time into the models to give the models a better initial state that they can go from to make a better forecast. Some of the USVs NOAA uses are from the company Sail Drone. 
The one used in hurricane missions is 23 feet long, and it kind of looks like a canoe with a big sail on it. Except the sail is decked out with a solar panel, sensors, and cameras. During a mission, they're supervised by a pilot on land, who tells the device where to go. But the drone itself makes some decisions on how to get there. And the sail drone moves really slowly, only about 3 miles per hour. It's outfitted with sensors to gather air temperature, wind direction, and pressure from the atmosphere while gathering that ocean data. They can measure continuously through the core of a major hurricane and give us air-sea interface data, so near-surface atmosphere and the ocean together. And that's something nothing else can do. Nothing can be steered into a hurricane. Back in 2021, a sail drone got a lot of attention for being the first to collect video from the surface of inside a hurricane when it ventured into the center of Hurricane Sam. It was measuring a significant wave height of 50 feet. So that means some waves are probably getting close to 100 feet. And it matched well with what the model was predicting. For some, these technologies are still in the testing phase. NOAA completed missions in 2021 and 2022 and is planning to send out 12 sail drones this season. The data gathered isn't used in hurricane models yet, but Foltz hopes that changes soon. And we're currently working with the NOAA uh, Modeling Center to test the data, put it into the, the data, get assimilating it into the models and uh, getting it to work operationally. Hopefully next year, at least for the surface on crewed vehicles, that it'll be going in operationally. And getting this data isn't just important for research. Weather forecasters use multiple models to build their predictions. So, to improve forecasts, they don't just need more data, but models that can show the details of a storm. Foltz says this is especially important for storms that get bigger and more intense fast. It comes down to being able to resolve individual clouds almost. I mean, you really need it. Can, it can vary so much within a hurricane. So that's difficult. If <laughs> you need a model that has to simulate this, you, you need to resolve these really small scales. And we can't do that with the models that we have. And 20 miles east of the Hurricane Center, researchers are working to do just that, make a shiny new hurricane model. Unlike the Hurricane Center, the NOAA Atlantic and Meteorological Laboratory in Virginia Key, Florida, doesn't look like the average office building. It peers out over a bay full of beachgoers and kayakers, and the employees share their outdoor space with iguanas and a crocodile they call Darwin. Along with the offices and labs, it has hurricane memorabilia, like storm gadgets and the original flag from the building that survived Hurricane Andrew in 1992. Huge concrete staircases and tons of natural light led me up to where I met with one of the lead hurricane modelers. Basically, this is a place where the next generation hurricane models are produced. That's Sundaraman Gopalakrishnan, but he likes to go by Gopal. He's a senior meteorologist at NOAA and the modeling team lead for the Hurricane Research Division. He's one of the main people working to create models that would better prepare forecasters and the public in the future. As you get to landfall, people want, what, what's going to be the wind <laughs> near my home? Am I going to have any other effects of the storm that's going to be near my home, basically? One of the things researchers are focused on is hurricane intensity. That's commonly measured by the scale of 1 to 5 we're used to hearing during storm coverage. A Category 1 storm has sustained winds between 74 and 94 miles per hour. By the time you get to Category 5, the winds are topping 157 miles per hour. But the storms are always changing, meaning they can go through a process called rapid intensification, 
That's when a storm has an increase in the maximum sustained winds of at least 35 miles per hour in a 24-hour period. It happened with Hurricane Ian last year. Right now, models can only predict intensity to a certain degree, and rapidly intensifying storms are typically associated with high forecast errors and more damage on land. Gopal is optimistic that with the influx of data, those predictions can improve. We are at an epoch of time where we are starting to understand intensity predictions basically from the model. The researchers I spoke to told me that their models will always be improving. The latest improvement is the Hurricane Analysis Forecast System, which NOAA is releasing this year. With it, they're hoping to provide more detailed forecasting a week before a storm hits. There is a lot of hope for improved track and intensity, and beyond that, more prediction of and more products which are in line with what would happen over land after landfall. That's going to be our emphasis. It's projected to deliver more reliable modeling for storm surge, rainfall, and tornadoes associated with tropical cyclones. And we'll be able to model multiple storms at once to see how they interact. But this all takes time to continue testing and updating, especially as more data comes in through those fancy drones we talked about. Senior hurricane specialist Robbie Berg at the National Hurricane Center says that any time a new model drops, the forecasters have to get used to it. You'll develop that trust more and more as you use the model. So during this transition, what we hope is that the forecasters will get more and more comfortable with the model, and the tools that we use in operations will uh, be able to use the model's output to help us make a better forecast. And as this model goes into use along with more data, researchers are unlocking things that they hope will lead to better hurricane response. Not just to know when and where a hurricane will hit, but the possibility for it to grow into a severe storm and what that means for us on land. Greg Foltz from NOAA says, Without information, you can plan and at least move people out of the way and prevent, to some extent, the loss of property and lives. So that's the ultimate goal. And with climate change, with what we've seen, how the warming ocean and the atmosphere can, can affect and, and increase this potential for rapid intensification and stronger storms, I'd say it just amplifies the need uh, to have better forecasts. But what does this technology and the next generation modeling mean for how we experience extreme weather? And with the changing climate, will it be enough? More on that after the break. If your business needs a new application, then developers will have to write code, a lot of code. If an application needs to be modernized, then you'll need time, resources, and caffeine. If that sounds daunting, then you need Watson X Code Assistant, AI designed to multiply developer productivity so you can generate code quickly. Let's create a more modern foundation for business with Watson X Code Assistant. Learn more at ibm.com slash codeassistant. IBM. Let's create. So all this work to gather data and create high-resolution models is, in the end, designed to better inform the public when a big storm is on the way. Remember Dominic Morales, who told us about Hurricane Ida flooding Philadelphia in 2021? Well, he's now the director of the Office of Emergency Management in Philly. And he says he relies on multiple forecasts to get the best idea of what to do. The forecast is great, and we take a lot of cues from that. But Morales says he learned from Ida that the city needs to be prepared in case the forecast isn't what the storm has in store. 
Um, but we have to be ready for for a notch above that. And now, obviously, we can't go full activation on every threat of a raindrop, right? So we still have to be measured in our approach. Um, but when the indicators are there, it's worthwhile to do that. Two years after Ida, Morellis says he's working to get Philadelphians ready for the possibility of another big storm coming their way. We're really trying to take to heart and to understand what is the messaging that's going to be appropriate at what point and with what content so that folks actually take action, so that they understand, hey, I do have some risk here, or hey, I'm, I could be impacted and these are the steps that I should take now before I see water in my street. And that's a challenge for improving hurricane response. With new data and models, how do you make sure that people are getting it? Rebecca Morse studies the interaction between weather forecasts and risk communication. She's a senior scientist at the National Center for Atmospheric Research and researches how the public responds to the threat of a big storm. The things that people focus on the most at first tends to be the track and the intensity because the track is important because you only really need to pay attention and think about evacuating if the storm is coming towards you. But the challenge is that even given a storm of a certain track, first of all, there's uncertainty in where the storm will go that's sort of inherent in weather forecasting. And she says, this is a reason why sometimes people's behaviors aren't what scientists and emergency managers hope. When people need to be making evacuation decisions a few days in advance, and you can't predict at that point which areas are going to experience the strongest winds and which areas are going to experience the you know, life-threatening flooding. And so people have to make decisions with a lot of uncertainty in what the storm will actually do. And so it's that complexity of communicating that I think is the biggest challenge. While oceanographers are honing in on those forecasts, trying to bridge some of that uncertainty, she's working on how to best communicate a complicated forecast to people with enough time for them to act. So kind of helping people at least be in the position where they can change their mind if the situation does become worse. Um, And I think there's um, a lot of technology to help with that. I think that sometimes people think like, oh, if we just change the cone and put this on it, that would solve the problem, but it's not that simple. On top of trying to figure out how to get the most detail from a hurricane to inform the public, scientists are also trying to gauge how a changing climate might affect the storms they're studying. There's lots of research into this, so let's break it down. One thing to keep an eye out for is rising sea level, which can cause more damage because of storm surge. And then there's the rising temperatures. Ocean temperatures will be higher, meaning warmer water, which can help fuel hurricanes since they can get their energy from the ocean. So some scientists are projecting we'll see stronger storms in the Atlantic. A 2020 study by NOAA and researchers at the University of Wisconsin in Madison found that from 1979 to 2017, the probability of major hurricanes increased, while the proportion of smaller hurricanes decreased. Another study by NOAA's Geophysical Fluid and Dynamics Laboratory is projecting with medium to high confidence that tropical cyclones will be stronger and drop more rain as the planet gets warmer. And that's the next thing you could expect, more rain. Hurricanes already drop a lot of it, but some climate scientists are predicting that the warmer ocean temperatures will lead to wetter storms. Warmer oceans mean more evaporation, which puts more water into the air. Storms grab hold of that liquid and drop it as heavy rainfall. And some research says that more storms could get stronger, faster. So remember when we talked about rapid intensification? It may be happening more often. Think Hurricanes Harvey, Irma, Maria, Michael, and Ian. 
all storms that had wind speeds which increased by at least 35 miles per hour in 24 hours or less. A recent study, led by a researcher at the Department of Energy's Pacific Northwest National Laboratory, found that the mean 24-hour hurricane intensification rate on the U.S. Atlantic coast increased between 1979 and 2018. But there wasn't a significant increase on the Gulf Coast, so scientists don't really have all the answers yet. And who should be on alert for the storm? Well, in addition to places that normally get hit, like the tropics, some studies have also shown that hurricanes could be moving more north, meaning places like New York, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania could be hit by tropical cyclones more often. The important thing to remember here is that this isn't settled science yet. Researchers are hypothesizing that this could be the case, but caution that there's not enough evidence to say this for sure yet. So not every storm will be stronger and not every storm will be more dangerous. But NOAA oceanographer Greg Foltz says, as the planet warms, more could have the potential to be. You're basically raising the limit to which the strongest hurricanes can get. And we see that. We see that significant trend over the past few decades of the strongest storms, on average, becoming stronger. For 2023, NOAA's predicting a near-normal season for Atlantic hurricane activity. El Nino conditions have developed, which typically means warmer waters, increased wind shear, and more stability in the atmosphere, possibly leading to fewer hurricanes in the Atlantic this year. With all these concerns about future storms and how might we best prepare, it's important to remember that there will always be some level of uncertainty in forecasting. But with a better idea of how hurricanes may change, grow, and hit land, meteorologists like Robbie Berg at the National Hurricane Center hope that as the technology keeps improving, the public's trust grows with it. None of us wants to be caught off guard. That's the way it used to be way back when, when we didn't have satellites and the forecasts were not good. We lost a lot of lives with storms because people didn't know. The World Meteorological Organization says early warnings and action are key to limiting casualties in extreme weather events. And Rebecca Morse, who studies how people react when they're told to prepare for dangerous weather, says that she's seen the impact that having a better forecast has on people's lives and thinks it'll increase as the forecasts get better. 40 years ago, you, you didn't have enough lead time to say five or six days in advance, I'm going to start bringing in buses and ambulances because I've got to get them from this other place so I can start thinking about a few days in advance, I'm going to want to evacuate my hospital population. You just didn't have that kind of lead time to make those decisions. And so I think that as we go forward, the improved forecasts will improve the decisions we have now, hopefully, if we can communicate the information well, and then enable new kinds of decisions and more advanced planning. The technology, the models, the data are all designed to give people more of a heads up when a major storm's on the way. The aim is to usher in a new wave of disaster preparedness, one that takes more than location into account and gives people more details on how their homes, schools, workplaces will be affected by a storm. Robbie Berg says that the improved models will give people a better understanding of the possible damage from these storms and encourage them to be prepared. Understanding what that storm can do and understanding that there will be uncertainty in that forecast sometimes can be hard to communicate and get people to understand they have to take precautions off of risks that may not develop. But if it does, it's better they take those precautions and be safe. And for places like Philadelphia that don't normally experience this kind of extreme weather, officials like Dominic Morales are sending out the message that the next decade may be different. And the last thing we ever want to hear anybody say is, oh, wow, I never thought that could happen. 
to me, or I never thought that could happen here. Um, because the reality is we're seeing these things unfortunately play out, um, not just in our own jurisdictions, but across the country. And, you know, as the climate changes, um, we can just see those, those pieces kind of stacking up and, and um, those impacts coming down the road. The Future of Everything is a production of The Wall Street Journal. Stephanie Ilgenfritz is the editorial director of The Future of Everything. This episode was reported and produced by me, Ariana Aspuru. Our fact checker is Aparna Nathan. Michael Laval and Jessica Fenton are our sound designers and wrote our theme music. Scott Salloway is our supervising producer. Editorial support was provided by Falana Patterson. Like the show? Tell your friends and leave us a five-star review on your favorite platform. Thanks for listening.